Everybody said? Amen. Amen. We're going to be in John, the fifth chapter this morning, so if you want to go there. I've been talking the last few weeks about conversations with Jesus, and we've been looking at a few of them in the Bible, uh, the conversations that Jesus had with individual people. And uh, we can glean a lot from these conversations sometimes because uh, we can apply those conversations actually and bring them forth to our uh, own time because the conversations he had with different people throughout the Bible while that's recorded in the Bible, we can apply them to our own life. So we're going to look at those this morning. Uh, now there's a counseling technique that, that we use that's called solution-focused therapy. Now one of the questions in this uh, type of therapy is asked, what are you going to do? Usually when people come to a counseling session, it's because they're having a problem, either marital problem or a problem with their kid or maybe the problem with their finances or whatever the problem might be. And you glean a lot of information by asking them, what are you going to do? And usually the response is that, well, somebody, uh, my wife needs to do this or my husband needs to do this or uh, my kids need to do this or my boss needs to do this. My, my church needs to do something about this, or, my, or God has to do something about this. It's always an external thing. You know, it's always looking at the responsibility of someone else to fix my problem. Isn't that the society we live in? It's not, it's not my problem. It's not my situation. It's somebody else's cause in this situation. And we live in a society that doesn't take responsibility for anything. And that's kind of what this technique... Uh, focuses on, and it kind of helps people to, to force them to look at their situation as their own personal responsibility. Now, this technique isn't something that's new. It's something that's, that's happened throughout the years, and Jesus implored it and used it a lot in, in a lot of his conversations that he had with people, getting them to think and getting them to respond. And that's kind of what we're going to look at this morning in this conversation that we're having, that Jesus is having in the fifth chapter of John, starting at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays. Jewish holy days. Inside the, the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the, the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry the sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your, bed, your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went, went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now, with this brief encounter, we see a man that had a, had a need. He had been uh, lame for 
38 years. That's the information we have. I don't know whether he was born that way. I'm getting uh, an indication from the passages that he probably wasn't born that way. But, uh, you know, there's, it doesn't matter one way or the other. Either way you look at it, he was that way for 38 years. Now, in verse uh, 6, it said, When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? Now, the pool of Bethesda, now we've been to where this pool is, of course. When we were there, the, uh, like I said, when they used to destroy cities and things, they would tear down the, the cities or, or just leave them and build on top of them. They'd fill them up with dirt or something and just build on top of them. And so actually when we were there, we had to look down 30 feet or 40 feet to where the pool of Bethesda was. But they were still there because they'd excavated them, and you could see, the, see this pool of Bethesda that was there 30 feet down. Of course, we couldn't get there because <laughs> there was no uh, uh, steps or anything to get down there. And, but you could see it. They dug, excavated enough of it to know you could find out what it was. And it still had water in it. Of course, it wasn't the water probably the way it was at that time because of all the years of things are going on. So here's this guy, and he's sitting here by this pool. Now, this pool had a history that if the, they, they call it when the water was stirred or troubled. In other words, when there was some kind of movement in this water, whatever it was, I don't know whether it was an actual thing that occurred or whether they, it was a legend that happened, but people responded and they were healed or what the situation was. But there were certain times that this water was troubled and then whoever got into the pool first got healed or got their need met, whatever it was. So consequently, there was a lot of people hanging around this pool. And here's this guy. He'd been sitting there. I don't know whether he'd been there for a total of 38 years or what, but here he is. Now, this seems kind of like a stupid question. Does he want to get well? That seems kind of crazy. I mean, well, look around you. Do I want to get well? I've been sitting here. I'm by this pool waiting for the water to be troubled, waiting for the water to be stirred so I can get in first and be healed. So it seems like a stupid question. And I write this question kind of up there with the question that uh, my parents used to ask me and maybe your parents used to ask you. Or, and I know I've asked my kids this, and you probably asked your kids this question. Do you want a spanking? <laughs> you ever asked your kid that? I've asked mine that, and of course, my parents asked me that when I was misbehaving or not doing the things that I needed to be doing. And I thought, oh, and I never once asked, told my parents, yes, I want a spanking. If your kids ever said, yeah, I want a spanking, I've been hoping all day long that you'd give me a spanking. So I've been messing up all day hoping I'd get one. I can't go to bed tonight if I haven't had my spanking. So that's kind of the question that this is. It seemed like a stupid question to kind of ask. Doesn't it sound stupid to you? But um, we look at a little bit, uh, a little bit in more depth. Maybe this question isn't really as ridiculous what we think it is. Here's a man who'd been crippled for 38 years. Okay, so during that 38 years, his livelihood depended upon him begging. That was his livelihood. So if he went. Um, it was healed, then all of a sudden his, his uh, way of making a living would have been cut off. Now he had uh, all the things that was involved in being a cripple, of course. He had, the, you know, he had his mat that he laid on, and I don't know how he got from the pool. Maybe he just lived there. I have no idea about this guy. 
But that was his livelihood. So if he was made whole, he would lose his position in begging. People wouldn't give him any money, money anymore. And so maybe he didn't really want to be healed. We have a lot of people today, and I've heard of people, they'll go up to be healed or pray for healing or things like that and say, but I don't want to be healed from this particular infirmity or this particular thing because if I do, I'll lose my, my disability payments. You've met people like that? I don't want to be healed because I don't want to lose that income. I might have to get a job. I may have to be responsible for my own life. I can't have that. Don't want that to happen. And so maybe that might have been what's going on in this guy's life. I don't know. All we can guess or all we can look at is the question that Jesus asked. He must have had a purpose in it. Maybe there was something deep inside this guy's heart going on that we wouldn't see, but maybe Jesus would see. And he, all of a sudden, he would uh, be responsible for his own behavior and his own life and his own living. He'd have to work. He'd actually get a job. There are a lot of people who don't want a job. They like unemployment. They want a job. They like welfare. So if you come up to and ask them, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? Do you want your circumstances to change? Maybe they don't. And that's what God is saying or Jesus is saying to us. Maybe not particularly to this guy. Specifically, I said, I don't know. Only Jesus knows what his heart was. But we look at that question and we bring it forward into our day. And, we, and Jesus asked us the same question. With the needs that we have, whether it be physical healing or spiritual healing or whatever it might be, he's asked the same thing. Do you really want that need met? The same thing that he asked this guy. <clears throat> Do we want Jesus to heal the damaged parts of our life? Sometimes it's easier to hang on to all those hurts that we have. Sometimes it's so much easier for us to do that. We don't want to be uh, that to go away because that person maybe hurt us and we want to make sure that we stayed hurt so we won't do anything nice for that person. So there's all kinds of things maybe that's going on in our heart and we don't want to be healed because we'd have to let that go. And too often we hang on to things that paralyze us. To the one crippled by past hurts, Jesus asked him, <clears throat> excuse me, do you want to be healed? To those that are chained by secret sin, Jesus asked, do you want to be loosed this morning? To those battling addictions, Jesus is asking, do you want to be set free? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be overcome this? To those who haven't asked Jesus for forgiveness and haven't served him, he's asking them, do you want to be saved? So all these kind of questions he's asking. To those who haven't asked Jesus for forgiveness, he wants us to know if we want to be saved because that's a question, too. Some people want to get just enough of, of religion to get by, but not enough to change their life. And that's the reality of that. We meet a lot of people that say, oh, I'm a religious person. I, I'm a good person. But see, that isn't the question Jesus has asked this morning. Do you want to be saved? Because religion isn't going to get you into heaven. So if you want just enough religion to get by, you don't need religion. You need Jesus. And there isn't just a little bit of Jesus. You can't have just a little bit of Jesus. You, it's all or nothing with him. We have to want, and so God's asking, do you really want your life changed? Do you want to be saved? It isn't just a little bit of Jesus or a little bit of religion. To receive healing, he has for us, we must desire to be changed. And we have a response that we have to make to, every, to this question that Jesus asked. He says, do you want to be healed? What's your answer? Do you want to be delivered? What's your answer? There's a response that we have to have in response to any need that we may face. And that was the same situation with this man here. Are we, he's, in verse 7 it says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, 
for I have no one to put me into the pool when the waters bubble up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. See, the man didn't answer Jesus' question. He asked him, do you want to get well? And what did the man do? He just gave him excuses why he hadn't been healed. He didn't answer his question. He just gave him an excuse. And that's sometimes what we do, too. When God asks us, do we want to be delivered from a situation? Do we want to be uh, delivered from the bondage that something told us? Maybe a secret sin. Maybe an addiction. Who knows what it might, might be? Jesus asks us the question, do we want to be healed? And we give an excuse. Well, I can't. I was born this way. Or I can't help it. I lost my job. And I'm just, or I'm just depressed. Or I'm, I, I drink because I lost my job. Or whoever, whatever it might be, we always come up with excuses on why. Something hasn't been changed in our life. But Jesus didn't ask us for excuses. He asked us, do we want to be well? Do we want this, whatever it is in our life, to be changed? If we want it to be changed, we have to answer him with a, uh, with a positive or a negative answer. If we don't want our lives to change, well, it won't be changed. But if we want them to be changed, then we have to have a response to God in relationship to that change. And it isn't a bunch of excuses. Like I always say, you tell, you tell people an excuse is a lie wrapped in a reason. <laughs> because we all, if we're full of reasons, we're full of excuses, and we live in a society that just pumps them out. You got a juvenile delinquent? Well, it isn't their fault. It's their environment. That's why they're the way they are. It's their environment. If they live in a different environment, their lives will be different. But that isn't true. How many times do we find kids raised in the same environment and one of them turns out well and the other one doesn't? So the excuse of environment doesn't, doesn't hold water. Sometimes maybe it's a contributing factor, but it boils back to the result that we're responsible for our own actions and our own behavior. When we, excuses don't, aren't accepted by society. I killed the guy because he said something bad to me or whatever and I was raised wrong. So, oh, well, that's good, little Johnny. It's okay. Go home. Huh, you're going to jail anyway. It doesn't matter. There's no excuse for, for, for breaking our laws, generally speaking. And God asked this man a question, and he gave him an excuse. Now, we can't help but feel sorry for this man because he said he's alone. He has no one to help him. So he's there as a cripple. It's kind of hard to get around with no legs. We kind of take that for granted, so it'd be hard. I think if I'd been him, I'd probably been laying right there at the edge of the pool, and so there I'd fall in. Or maybe I'd spend all day in the pool. I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know what the, how that was, but you can't help but feel sorry for him when he gives an excuse saying, I don't have anybody to help me. That when the sewers of water's troubled, I struggle, and I try to get there, and I try to be the first one in the water, and I try so hard. But before I get there, someone beats me there. Somebody beats me into the pool. See, this, this man that was hanging out at that pool, he had a need that he wanted met. Now, all of us this morning, we all have needs in our life. We, I don't know what they are. Maybe they're between you and God. But we all have needs. Well, we don't have to wait for the troubling of the water. We don't have to worry about being the first one in the pool. We don't have to be the first, worry about the first one at the altar. We don't have to be worried about the first one to be prayed for this morning. Because God is the same and he doesn't care how many needs to come to him. He wants to meet every single need, need that's here this morning. He just has a question. Do you want it? Sometimes we like to, to what is it, compare our owie list or our moaning list or something, our complaint list with, with everyone. Somebody talks about, man, oh, man, my back hurts. Well, you know, I had that. 
You know, my back hurts, but also my knees hurt. And we try to see who's got the most pains and, and aches and things in our bodies to complain about. Like the one with the most points, pains wins. Okay, you win. <laughs> so we both go home sick. <laughs> we both go home hurt because all we want to talk about is our needs. We don't want to talk about God who wants to meet our needs. Now, I don't understand all the ramifications for, for healing that goes on in, in God's kingdom. I have no idea. I do know that... Uh, Sometimes God doesn't heal certain people because he knows that if he does, they'll lose contact with him or they'll fall away from God. And I'd rather, I'd rather be sick in this life or hurt in this life than turn my back on God, wouldn't you? And I don't know that, but I can come to the throne of God and ask for it anyway and say, God, I really want this, I really want this. And just like Paul, he'd pray and pray and pray about something and God didn't grant a need of Paul. And if he didn't grant Paul's need who we hold in high esteem, maybe there's some things in our life that we're asking for that God isn't going to grant. But when we get in the next life, God will tell us why or what the situation is and why he didn't meet it at that time or maybe he didn't meet it the way we want. See, sometimes God wants to meet our needs, but we have this cut and dried idea about what needs God's going to meet and we also tell him how to meet them. Have you ever told God how to meet your need? I have. <laughs> I've told him a few times, hey, God, I need this, and this is what I want you to do. Like, here, I'm ringing for room service. <laughs> and God isn't a bellboy. <laughs> he isn't a hostess in a restaurant. He isn't a waitress. He isn't a waiter. He's God, and we've got to remember that. And we come to him and ask of our requests and our needs, and then we have to uh, examine our hearts and say, do we really want this need met? Or are we just coming because, you know, because uh, I got this problem, so I've got to pray for it. We really want it met. So we have to evaluate everything that we bring to God because he still asks us the same question. Do you want that need met? Do you want to be healed? Same thing today that he asked for them. <clears throat> to, to receive healing for us, we must desire to be changed. See, sometimes we come to God and we don't want to be changed. We want to hang on to some things in our life, don't we? We want to hang on to things like grim death because we're so afraid to let go of things. And we hang on to everything in this world, even if it doesn't amount to nothing, because it's ours. Like the, the homeless man that hangs on to his little cart of stuff, because everything that he has is in this cart, and he isn't going to turn loose of it. Well, God can't meet a need till we turn loose of our cart. We want to be a homeless man pushing our cart and all our possessions down the street, or we want to walk in the kingdom of God as a child of God and have our needs met. Why do I want to pick food out of the garbage can when I can eat at the king's table? But we have to let go of that life. We have to let go of the things that are behind us before God can do that. And that's what God is asking us this morning. And we see it in this story. In, um, he said, sir, I have no one to help me. But he still, and he had a, it was a tragic cry, but he still didn't answer the question. Do you want to get well? He's doing everything but answering the question. Now, if there's one person who could, have offered, who, who could have offered Jesus an excuse, Robert Reed would be that person. His hands are twisted and his feet are useless. He can't bathe himself. He can't feed himself. He can't brush his teeth, comb his hair, or put on under, his own underwear. His shirts are held together by strips of Velcro. His speech drags like a worn-out audio cassette. Robert has cerebral palsy. This disease keeps him from driving a car, riding a bike, and going for a walk. 
but it didn't keep him from graduating from high school or attending Abilene Christian University, for which he graduated with a degree in Latin. Having cerebral palsy didn't keep him from teaching at St. Louis Junior College or from venturing overseas on five mission trips. And Robert's disease didn't keep him from becoming a missionary to Portugal. He moved to Lisbon alone in 1972. There he rented a hotel room and began studying Portuguese. He found a restaurant owner who would feed him after the rush hour and, tutor, and a tutor who would instruct him in the language. He then stationed himself daily in a park where he distributed brochures about Christ. Within six years, he led 70 people to the Lord. Robert Reed didn't see fit to offer excuses to the Lord. Now, we look at stories like that, and then we look at our own life, we think, man, what have I got to complain about? Man, I got a turf toe. You know, I'm amazed that football players are out of commission because of turf toe. Big, strapping, athletic guy, whatever, he can't play because of turf toe. <laughs> he hurt his poor big toe. Now, I, you know, it's kind of hard to feel sorry for these guys that get paid all that money. And then here we are struggling, and I know I went to work a lot of days with all kinds of pain from injuries that they, when you get hurt at work, they, they mess around with them for a long time, and they expect you to work, and they punish you when you get hurt. I don't know whether you've experienced that or not, but that's generally the case. But here's this guy that could have had an excuse. He had an excuse of anybody. Man, I can't walk. I can't. His hands were all up like this, so he couldn't even dress himself. Hardly just Velcro on his hands and stuff. Couldn't walk. Man, I'll tell you, that'd be a hard life. And I don't know why God let, doesn't heal him. I don't know why. Maybe he would have turned his back on God. Who knows? Or maybe he never asked. See, sometimes we're in the situations we're at because we don't ask. God's available to us. He walks past every day, but it's up to us to ask. We don't ask, we're not going to get. When we don't ask, the answer's automatically no. See, God's a yes God. Sometimes he's a no God, though, and sometimes he's a maybe God. But if we can find whatever we're asking for in this, he's a yes God. But see, we still have to ask for it. If our kids, want, when they were growing up, wanted to go somewhere, they had to ask. Ask permission to go. But well, we have to come to God and ask permission because he's the one that controls our lives. Or anyway, he should control our lives. Because if he controls our lives, he's going to spare us from a lot of things, situations that we're in that we don't have to worry about getting in trouble over. <clears throat> now, verse uh, five, 8 says, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, Jesus still ex ignored the, the excuse. Not only ignored the excuse, he gave it an impossible thing to do. Man, this is impossible. This guy's a cripple. You tell him to get up and walk? Come on. Not only get up and walk, get up and pick up your mat and walk. Now, hey, now this guy could have looked at Jesus and said, what kind of nut are you? It's bad enough you're asking me when I want to be healed when I'm sitting here by this pool trying to be the first one in, but now you want me to do the impossible. Man, this seems ridiculous. To, to, you know, probably did to him, didn't it? Wouldn't you think that'd be ridiculous to you? You're crippled. Okay, stand up and walk. Crazy! But has God asked you to do something that seemed crazy to you? Seemed impossible for you to do? Has God asked you to do anything that's impossible? See, I always say the impossible is, is only impossible with us. And then it's a, for me, it's just a little more difficulty. I've heard doctors tell me about things that's happened in my life, and they say, that's impossible. I've heard that, I don't know how many times in my life when the doctor's looking at something that happened physically to my body, he says, this is impossible. Yep, and then they say, oh, it's you, we forgot. The impossible is just a little more difficult for you, you know? 
But how many times has God asked us to do what we what seems to be impossible? See, when we're looking through our own eyes, things in our lives seem impossible. But see, God, through when we look at it through God's eyes, nothing's impossible. Nothing. He created us. He knows everything about our body. So it isn't nothing for him to put something back in alignment or to get rid of a disease or whatever it might be. It's nothing for God. He made us. All right, when I was up in Salt Lake, my uh, granddaughter had a, uh, some of that, what is it, that Play-Doh, Play-Doh stuff, and she was making stuff out of it. Well, you can make whatever you want out of that Play-Doh. When you have the Play-Doh, you're the one that's the creator of it, and you can make whatever you want out of it. Well, we're God's Play-Doh, and he can make whatever he wants out of us, and he can rearrange it. If you've got, got something that's going on, he can fix it. It's no big deal to him. And he's the perfect artist. He can put things together. And he, does, he requires sometimes the impossible from us. And I've done a lot of impossible things in my life. I'm up here. To, that's impossible. It's impossible that I'm here this morning. When you look at it re, re, reality-wise, I should have been killed a number, one, number of times. I missed a mid-air air collision when I was flying my airplane up by the point of the mountain. And some idiot was on the wrong side of the road. And, and when you're in the air, there's airways that you're supposed to follow. And when you're following by what they call VFR, or visual flight rules, when you're going by a freeway, you usually follow freeways generally, you're supposed to stay on the right-hand side, just like you're driving, the right-hand side of the road if you're going north, left-hand side of the road if you're going south. Or, yeah. yeah anyway, you know, so you're going. So there's no chance of a, of a, of a wrecking with somebody or crashing into somebody. Well, I come around the point in the mountain, and here I come almost face-to-face -face with an airplane that was out in my airspace on the wrong side of the road. And, man, I'll tell you, I got out of there. This guy was an idiot. And I thought, and it didn't matter whether he, you know, I was right. I was where I should have been. But he was in the wrong place. And sometimes God has to protect us from being in the right place at the wrong time. And we don't know how many times God has done that. So that was an impossible situation. If I'd have hit, ran into him 150 miles an hour, that's how fast I was going, and he was going about the same. Man, it was just a miracle. I just missed him at the last moment because if you go around that point of the mountain, your vision isn't that great. And we were right on the same altitude, too, because you're supposed to have 500 feet going the other direction, too. He obeyed, disobeyed two rules. Had another idiot one time when I was flying. Well, I was landing on, uh, up to the airport. Had my brand-new granddaughter in the back of the plane. First time she'd ever been there with my daughter. And was going up from, I don't remember where we came from. But anyways, flying up there and, and in a non-controlled airspace or without a control power, control, power, control tower, you usually announce your intentions of what you're going to do. And you always enter the landing pattern downwind. So you come in at the back and you go downwind. You enter over here and you go downwind. Then you go base and then you turn to land. That's the, that's the way that you do it. Well, I come in and I announce it, whatever, and I follow the other plane that was coming in, whatever, and I turn, just as soon as I turn to land, this idiot come in from the other thing and got right in front of me and landed right in, you know, in my place. And you can't stop those planes on a dime. They just don't, you know, they don't have brakes. In the air, they don't have brakes. On ground, you have brakes, but not, on, not in the air. So I'm sitting there and I tell everybody, just hang on, because... Now, what are I going to do? I'm already landing. There's a plane behind me that I know is behind me, and I don't know where all the other planes are. So I knew I had to land. So I hit that runway as hard as I could run it, and then, then somebody, uh, the guy that was behind me got real ticked because he thought I was the one that cut in, and it wasn't. So he read my husband the riot act. 
Lucky it wasn't me. They don't talk to me in those things. I wasn't saved then. <laughs> I wasn't saved then. I didn't put up with a lot then. If it had been me, it wrecked. I'd have, <laughs> what'd you say? <laughs> no, I wasn't very forgiving. But there's so many instances in my life, I almost got burned to death when I was a kid. Caught on fire. My sister lit a sparkler and threw a match. Caught my dress on fire and went up like a Roman candle. And I took off running. My mom just barely caught me in time. So many things in my life. I've been in automobile accidents. All these things have happened in my life because I know that God wants to kill all of us, not just me. He wants to kill you too. But I don't understand all these situations that are there, but I do know that God is there in possible situations, whether we acknowledge it or not. He's there to help us, and he gets us out of situations. So it's a miracle I'm even here this morning. And I wasn't saved my whole life. I've only been saved for a little over 20 years. So I spent a lot of years out there in the world that the devil would have loved to have killed me. Because but I don't know whether he knew that I was going to accept God. I have no idea. I doubt it. But he ain't taking any chances with anybody. But it's impossible that I was here. But see, I'm here. So God does the impossible. You want to see a miracle? I'm here. Everything I've had happen in my life, you're looking at a miracle. I can walk across this stage this morning. You're looking at a miracle. Sometimes when I'm home, things hurt. But it's still a miracle that I'm able to do the things I can do. Because God does the impossible. And he works the impossible in our lives if we'll let him. We just have to ask, though. And I ask God a lot. Give me your hand of protection upon me, Lord. Make me able to be able to do the things that you've called me to do. Now, I don't know why, why I haven't had everything just eliminated. It'd be nice just to have everything just gone overnight. It'd be nice. I don't know why he hasn't done that. When I'm up here, I feel fine. <laughs> when I'm up here, man, I feel great. <laughs> but when I go home, that's when stuff catches up to you, you know. But I don't understand that. But see, sometimes God does the impossible. But sometimes he doesn't. But he's able to do the impossible. And we never know what God is going to do in our lives. And when he asks us to do the impossible, it's because he knows we can do it. He knew this guy could have a faith to be healed, to be able to get up and walk if he would just act. There was something he had to do in response to the request. Do you want to get well? Well, if you want to get well, then rise and walk. If you want your need met, then Jesus is speaking something into your spirit this morning. Maybe it's rise and walk. Maybe it's get off the dead off your butt and do something. <laughs> It's kind of hard for somebody that's out of a job to find a job if they're not looking. I don't, I don't think I know anybody that's ever got a job that wasn't looking for a job. Anyway, I never did. There's times in my life I tried not to find a job. <laughs> Sometimes I tried real hard and I succeeded at that. <laughs> but when I wanted to find a job, I always found one. So, <clears throat> so this man, man complained, I don't have anybody. But see, Jesus didn't come to him and say, oh, you poor thing. You poor, poor man. You don't have anybody to help you. I feel so sorry for you. He didn't feel sorry for him. <laughs> I mean, I imagine he probably had compassion in his heart because he spoke to him in the first place. Because this man wasn't the only one around those pools. There was lots of people there. Now, but this was the one that God singled out. This is the one Jesus spoke to because I don't know whether this was the one that he saw something in his heart to this man that someone else. I have no idea. Why he picked and chose whoever he chose. You know, to me, I wonder, why did he go through the whole pool and heal everybody? He could have just went, everybody be healed! <laughs> and they'd all been healed. But he didn't. I don't understand God sometimes. But he, if I could understand him, then he wouldn't be God, right? 
I have a hard time understanding kids, my grandkids. My husband has a hard time sometimes understanding me. Amen. <laughs> it's not up to us to understand. It's up to us to respond. And when it seems like he's given us something impossible, then we have to acknowledge that, okay, it may seem impossible, but the minute I step out, the minute I do something, the minute I respond, the minute I react, then God's power is going to kick in at that point. And that's what he wanted this man to do. He wants us to have the gospel of Nike. You know what that is? Just do it. That's the gospel of Nike. Just do it. <laughs> that's what God asks us to do. Just, just do it. <clears throat> now, this is not a, a, it's not about a self-help program. It's not about us being in control of, our, of everything that happens in our life. That isn't what it's about. It's about a dependence upon God and coming to God, acknowledging that he's the only one that can help us. He's the only one that can meet our needs. That's what it's about. And listening to his voice and listening to us when he, uh, what he has to say. Now, we have to realize that uh, who healed the man at the pool? It was Jesus. Who had to walk? The man. Who saves from sin? Jesus. Who has to repent and believe? We do. Who sanctifies us and gives us the power to live above sin? Jesus. Who's the one that makes the decision every day to live as God wants us to live? We do. There's an, a person, there's an involvement in the activity that's going on. Everything that, if you look at the healings that Jesus took uh, or performed, there was always a response a human response involved in the action. And there's this human responsibility that was there. And that's what I think Jesus wants us to see in this story this morning. There was a response. There's something that we can be involved in. Sometimes God asks us to do the impossible in a situation or in a need. I don't know what they are. I don't know how God works because God deals with all of us differently in different situations in our life. He doesn't deal with all the same because we're not the same. Something that God may do for you in a certain way, he isn't going to do for me because maybe it wouldn't work for me or maybe I wouldn't be challenged to do that. I have no idea. But we can't be locked into a certain way of doing things because God is, like I said, he made every snowflake different. So he made us, each one of us, differently. And he responds to each one of us differently. See, a religion doesn't do that. A religion responds to everybody the same way. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and you don't do this, and you don't do this, and you don't do this. Well, God responds to each one of us differently on a personal relationship. And there's some things in my life that I can't do that maybe you can do. Because God knows if I do certain things, it's going to damage me. And it's going to cause me to, my life to be destroyed in some way. Somebody else can do some of the same things, but maybe I can't. Because that's why it says, the Bible says, To him that knoweth to do good and, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Not to everyone that is sin. Maybe some people, to them, it'd be a sin to wear red. I don't know. But if God told me not to wear red, I ain't going to wear red. It's as simple as that. I have no idea. It seems kind of ridiculous. But I don't know. Who knows? God has a reason for everything that he tells us to do. And we can't just, just let things go over the top of our head without looking at the, at the circumstances and, and the things that's going on. And when we get something in our life and it seems like God's telling us to do something impossible or seems ridiculous like he did this man. And I think that's why he, one of the reasons he asked this question. It seems ridiculous. Maybe God's asking us to do something that seems ridiculous or sounds ridiculous. But he wants a response from us. He doesn't want an excuse. He wants a response on our behalf. 
He doesn't want us to give him excuses because excuses aren't, isn't going to get to the heart of the matter. God wants us to be able to face the situation, ask and listen for his response, and do whatever it is he tells us to do. Who knows? I don't know what it might be. <clears throat> uh, Romans 8.37 says, We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. When we act as if we're defeated, our, our lives and circumstances, when things happen to us, and we act like we're defeated, because this guy laying at the pool every day for 38 years, he was defeated, wasn't he? He's probably depressed, depressed. He probably didn't like life very much. I wouldn't think I'd like that either, would you? You know, we sit there and say, man, I just like to not have something to do all the, for, for a week. Well, after a couple days, if you've ever done nothing for a couple days, you pretty soon you're, you're getting cabin fever and you're going crazy because you've got to have something to do. Well, all this man could do was lay, lay around for 38 years, and he, I think he was getting a little tired of it. And so we've got to realize that <clears throat> we are more than conquerors, and we don't have to be depressed. We don't have to have, be under the thumb of Satan all the time. We don't have to be oppressed by him. Because Jesus died on a cross for our sins to pay the penalty for our sins and deliver us and to give us victory. Because he rose from the dead, we're going to live too. But we have to come to ask him to forgiveness for our sins in order to get it. There's something that we have to do on our part. And usually in a lot of situations in our life that happen, there's something that God is asking us to do. And we just have to sit there and, and say, well, God, what is it you want me to do? You know, this is my need. What do I need to do? I mean, if you have a financial need, you have to go through your budget and ask God, you know, I need, I need more money. I'm not making enough money. I need a job or whatever it might be. Then you have to go through your budget and say, God, what can I get rid of? What, what can I eliminate? Because that's what you have to do when you're having money problems, isn't it? You have to start going through your budget and say, well, I can live without uh, direct TV. <laughs> I can live without... Who knows whatever it is, going out and going to McDonald's or going to the show or the movie, these seven things we start eliminating in our life. Well, the same thing happens when we come to God with our need, whatever it might be. It depends on what the need is. And he's going to start evaluating our life and start looking and say, look, these are some things you need to look at. And he may ask us to get rid of some things in our life. And I know it'd be, oh, man, it seemed impossible for me. Give up direct TV. Oh, man, how am I going to live without NFL football or hockey? <laughs> how am I going to do that? But if God asked me to do it, I, I wouldn't like it, but I'd do it. And as long as it doesn't interfere with my life of serving him and my attendance in church, I don't think God has a problem with it because God likes things. I think God likes football. He must like it because there's a lot of Christians that play it. He must like hockey because there's Christians that, are, that are play hockey in there, Calandra. So <laughs> or basketball. There's a lot of Christians out there that play it, so God must like it. He just doesn't like the things that interfere with our service to him. That's the only thing he doesn't like. John 5, uh, verse 9 says, Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. When he was obedient to the impossible, that's when something changed in his life. I don't know whether at the instant that he started acting like he was going to get up, that he got strength, Whatever it was, I have no idea. But I think as soon as he initiated the movement to be able to get up, like if you're laying on the ground on a map, you just roll over and start to try to get up, I believe at that instant, that's when the heating came into his, into his body. I believe that's when the strength of God flowed through his body and gave him the strength to get up and rolled up his mat 
mat and walked, instantly healed. The impossible was performed that day. But it wouldn't have been performed, his miracle wouldn't have happened if he didn't get involved in the cure or in, the, in what God had promised him. You got a need this morning? You got something going on in your life you want God to meet this morning? God's here to do, meet, meet your need, whatever it might be. But there might be something on our part that we have to do to participate in that miracle. If you need a miracle, he still does miracles today. He's still in the miracle business. Miracles aren't nothing for God. Do you have a need this morning that you want him to have met? Let's pray. Our precious